Welcome to Scandinavian Mind Weekly, our show about current trends and events within business, tech, fashion, design, culture, and more, from the Nordic perspective of our team of editors and contributors. Today on the program, the art world is in a crypto craze, with multiple NFT projects unveiled at Art Basel Miami. And a former Christie's executive is selling a Banksy in 10,000 digital pieces. We also meet with a Nordic representative from the new Chinese electric car company, Niu, and hear about what they have to say about the future of mobility. I'm Conor Olsen, editor-in-chief and founder of Scandinavian Mind, and I'm here with my dear colleagues, Roland Philipp Kretschmar, editor-at-large for Future and Digitization, and our junior editor, Erik Sedin. Guys, how are you doing? Happy Friday, and first of all, congratulations, Roland. Oh, what have I done now? <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I graduated from this executive education program at Stockholm School of Economics. So yeah, hey. <laughs> Does that make you feel younger being at school or make you feel more grown up having sort of extended your, your uh, world of knowledge? Um, <laughs> it depends. <laughs> Good question. I will think about that during the weekend. Wonderful. We're, su- we're super happy for you and I'm, I'm proud to have you as our, our contributor and, and partner. Um, listen, there's so much going on this week. Uh, I know everyone is sort of in a Christmas craze trying to finish up projects for for uh, the holidays. Uh, we have the same situation here at Scandinavian Mind. Uh, but there's still so much things going on, and, and I'd love to, for, to have you guys' take on this. Um, first of all, uh, I've been sort of obsessing about the concept of NFTs the last fall. We've all been talking about it. There was an interesting story in, in New York Times um, this past week about a former Christie's executive uh, called Louis Gosser. I think I'm pronouncing that wrong, but uh, whatever. He has founded a company called Particle. So this guy was um, uh, part of the executive team at Christie's. He was orchestrating the sale of the uh, you know $450 million Leonardo da Vinci painting um, in 2017. And now he has launched an, an, a crypto company. So the idea here is they, they've bought a Banksy painting. So let's see if we can get this right. They've they've digitized this painting. They've chopped it up in 10,000 squares, basically. So 100 by 100, made an individual NFT about of of each square. And apparently sort of each NFT represent uh, 10,000 part of the painting. So if you buy the NFT, um, you actually have sort of co-ownership of this painting and this will all go into some kind of trust uh, or, 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 or organization that will secure that no one can actually um, individually get their hands on the physical painting, but every, you know, each and every one of these 10,000 uh, co-owners will be, be uh, partly owning the painting. Uh, Roland, you've been covering this uh, topic of, of NFTs in the art world and crypto in the art world. What do you think when you, when you hear this story? I, th- I find it super fascinating. Ah, well, <laughs> I wonder, I mean, each piece uh, costs uh, will cost uh, $1,500. It will be auctioned mm. out on, I think, January 
um, 10th or something. Yeah, January 10th and January 14th. I'm actually wondering which part of this painting is then the most valuable <laughs> in, as an investment. So just to be clear, it's, um, it's Love is in the Air. It's one of the most famous paintings by, by, by Banksy. It's an iconic painting. That's the one that is now being shopped up, as you say, into um, 10,000 NFTs. I wonder uh, which part basically would be the most valuable. I mean, I honestly, I, I just think this is just a natural evolution. Um, it's 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 uh, the merge between art, technology, finance, uh, creator economy. Um, you know, there, there's obviously a lot of buzz uh, around NFTs this year. Might be a bubble, might be some corrections next year uh, when it comes to valuations, etc., but uh, this is just the beginning, to be honest. Mm -hmm. is that, one thing I'm thinking about is the painting is it's largely sort of white space. A lot, it's not the most sort of uh, uh, you know vivid uh, um, uh, motif, so to speak. It's really sort of uh, kind of black and white. Where the flower, I'm, I'm, I'm suspecting that parts of the flower will be most the most valuable, or the uh, eye maybe, or, or the eye. So it's it's uh, sort of a. Uh, uh, a silhouette of a guy throwing a, a flower like a grenade or something mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. Very iconic, uh, very iconic uh, picture. Um, yeah, but I like, mean, like you guys said, 10,000 might be a bit much. It could have been a Pollock painting or whatever. Still couldn't see what it was in all these pixels or whatever. I mm. think something maybe like 100 or like uh, 20 would be even more. Imagine the auctions to getting that bouquet then, like you said, or like the head could really get going. That's actually quite interesting. Um, a lot of the NFT space has been um, it has been about scale, right? Um, and it's all in the numbers. Uh, I listened to a interesting podcast the other day uh, called Proof. Um, Kevin Rose, NFT kind of um, enthusiast. Um, they discussed about his new membership club, uh, and, and and it's basically it's it's. Um, and uh, they, they're going to now uh, mint NFTs, utility NFTs. So you become a member of this club. And, you know, he discussed, okay, so what's the right amount of members? And he basically decided to have a thousand members as, as founding members. And he has 250 downloads for every podcast episode. So, you know, I, I think he could have had more members, right? But his argument was exactly what you're, I think, thinking of here, Eric, is that, um, it's, it's maybe better to have a smaller number and then add more value to those members mm. instead, in, instead of reaching uh, uh, as many as possible. And I think actually you might be onto something here in the art space that I, I yeah, I think you're right there. If, if they would have limited this to maybe a thousand or maybe even less 500, it could have um, generated even more interesting uh, kind of value. So yeah, good, good, good uh, topic there, Eric. Yeah, definitely. Yes. I think there, there's a, a kind of a, a, a an established number around ten thousand. I think some of the board apes, yacht club, and, and those kind of uh, you know digital animals. I think there most of them are around ten thousand. I think uh, obviously there's a and I think also the Gary Vaynerchuk, the Gary V mm -hmm. uh, V Friends NFT project also ten thousand. So there's something around that number that seems to be established in the NFT space. 
I am a bit surprised as, as, as well that that in the art world, maybe you sh- maybe you should go for scarcity. Maybe you should go for more scarcity than than ten thousand. But uh, also, I guess when you're sitting there with the numbers in your little uh, you know Excel uh, spreadsheet, uh, if you're adding a zero. You're, you're you're kind of tenfold, ten xing the the revenue stream from this project. I'm I'm, mm. I'm I'm guessing it's it's easy to to fall down that road. Mm. Um, but but uh, listen, <clears throat> I think on that, what you you said something interesting there that, um, uh, I mean basically the the whole idea of an NFT in the art space has been the the, the, the there's only one original right mm. that you. Mm. And, and, and now there will be 10,000 originals. That's part of another original. Right. <laughs> so that in itself is quite interesting, right? Uh, that, that has generated already some, some interesting um, excitement among artists. Damien Hurst, he, he minted his own NFTs earlier this year. Um, I, I think this might spark actually a different way of thinking around art, distribution of art, ownership of art, uh, and actually then... Um, we might see then established artists um, thinking about this whole value chain. So, you know, they create first a physical object, then they ensure that there are the right NFTs minted, etc. Right. So that, that, that might be interesting to follow. For sure. And I think one of the key words here is community. You know, the guy who bought the uh, uh, the Beeple artwork this mm-hmm. in March, which was so the famed sort of seventy million dollar uh, artwork, he, he's just one guy, right? And uh, there was actually an interesting interview with him in in your favorite uh, newspaper, Roland, the Financial mm-hmm. Times, where he mm-hmm. said he will never he will never sell the artwork because it's part of history now. No one will uh, buy it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, anyways, but but I think if you, if you look at, for instance, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, and and mm-hmm. his part with We Friends, he talks a lot about uh, nfts as uh, a community and um that was also one of the topics at slush last week when i listened to one of the panels with with uh, alexander leonard larsen the co-founder and ceo of axie infinity uh who talked about nfts are access passes mm. and we saw this earlier with the this was a big uh, nyc nft sort of conference event in new york uh, a few weeks ago where there was all these sort of lavish parties where if you had the you know board yacht club nft uh you were able to get access to uh, certain parties and, and so forth and i think i think really therein lies the the true value of this over time where the the individual sort of asset is is just an entry point into a community, into a world. Um, I'm sure uh, the the ten thousand owners of the Banksy artwork will form some kind of community, or they will be able to communicate, or like talk to each other, or perhaps even meet every year to talk about their their their, their affection uh, for Banksy. Uh, so there's there's something in in that that's really exciting, and that we only sort of begun to see the see the the ramifications of but yeah it's, but, it's, that, yeah, but sure. i i think i don't want to interrupt you there but i think this is exactly where we have an issue a challenge maybe uh, if, if we connect then these worlds with the pro with the the traditional art world right. so um uh, and this connects back actually to this uh, kevin rose uh, debate on on, on on scarcity right or or on, on numbering the right amount of of nft so you know, basically, if you, if you think about an, a utility NFT, right, where you connect um, different kind of values to the NFT, so basically it's like a membership um, mm. token, right? 
uh, then uh, I, I think you definitely need to have uh, a lesser amount of members. Um, you, I mean, it's it's uh, maybe um, optimistic to 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 think that ten thousand people would meet to discuss uh, Banksy, right? But <laughs> well, what you could do, for example, as a gallery, is that you could mint uh, utility NFTs. Let's say Gagosian mints a thousand utility NFTs. They are sold. Uh, on auction uh, to the highest bidder, to their art community, to their collector community. And that gives you then a, let's say, three-year access, exclusive access to different kinds of content. So, mm. for example, mm. you would get um, access to, to buy certain artworks uh, in advance, uh, and that could be also the physical artwork. You, that could allow you to... Um, visit artist studios, it could give you uh, VIP access to um, uh, gallery events, etc, uh, etc. Et I mean, we, we could just add a long list of different perks, right? And yeah. what happens then is that this membership, let's say, that is connected to the utility NFT or Gagosian, right? And this is just, I mean, it does not exist, right? But uh, that uh, the value could then increase over the years. And you would then in the contract maybe allow the owner to resell it um, after a certain amount of time, including all the benefits, which means right. that, let's say a VIP customer Gagosian buys the first batch of NFTs, uh, keeps it for two years, then puts it up on auction, and then anyone basically could buy it. Someone that has never, ever had any access to Gagosian whatsoever, right? And then by owning that NFT, that uh, new owner would then get all the exclusive VIP access um, that you would normally then only get after buying art at Gagosian for 20, 30 years or something. So that could be really, really interesting. And sorry, I'm a bit um, uh, long here in my comments, but uh, I I, I think that what we're seeing with these kind of uh, digital art NFTs, they're missing this element. And that's actually interesting regarding, uh, you know, referring back to this Banksy uh, painting, because you, you're not actually talking about the keyword here is access. So access mm-hmm. to different worlds, different events, different communities, uh, you know, every, you know, everything in the art world. And, you know, if you extend it to the world of fashion and design, and so it's all about sort of status uh, and social signaling and, and all these kinds of sort of, sort of very human basic traits about showing who you are and, and what you have access to. Uh, in the case of the Banksy painting, you're not actually getting any type of access to Banksy. They've exactly. only they've bought this painting. It's a sort of a standalone individual piece in the hands of this former uh, Christie's executive, uh, and and then you get a, a you know tens of thousands piece of that. But you know, I would imagine if and here's like herein lies the, the great opportunity for guys like Damon Hurst and some some of these sort of true iconic living artists today. I'm sure there are a lot of people who would pay a lot of money to uh, be able to uh, access a, a Damon Hurst NFT and get one day of year you get to come into uh, Damon Hurst's uh, studio, uh, watch him uh, uh, paint a painting, have lunch with him, uh, talk to him uh, together with other sort of art aficionados. I mean, 
that, yes. that 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 would be so so much valuable and and you would then be able to signal this through the nft through some kind of digital artwork or digital yeah. piece of content yeah and that's exactly my point and i think so far we have not seen any examples of this and you know i just i just um just sparked my mind earlier this week when i i listened to this kind of utility nft discussion mm. you know and i think that's where we would see the the true value coming right but obviously, we can then also ex- expand this to other creative areas. I mean, music. Think about, you know, buying a, a, a utility NFT membership, uh, giving you access to, I don't know, um, uh, Justin Bieber, <laughs> right? And, you know, once a right. year, you get some exclusive access to his studio recording or whatever. You know, you just make up your your, your dream access, right? But. Yeah, there's I, a I, lot I, to be seen. There, there, there's a lot there. I haven't seen it in the art space. I have uh, seen it in other, uh, going back to Gary Vaynerchuk and, and VFriends. So Gary Vaynerchuk, this mm-hmm. uh, American entrepreneur, sort of social media personality, business uh, kind of guru type person who has you know millions of followers on, on different social medias. He launched uh, uh, his, his concept, VFriends, which is basically like, you know, childlike paintings that he have done himself with kind of based on certain, you know, values like Mm -hmm. patient panda. And he talks about how patience is important in business and and so forth. Um, Hugely popular uh, NFT project. He, you know, promises access to some kind of VCon, a, a huge conferences conference with with I'm, I'm sure will be sort of uh, a high high profile speakers he has a great network so anyone who owns an nft of his get access to this event and uh there was a, a, a video that, that went viral uh, this past week with him talking about how he's made 90 million uh, us dollars off of his nft sales the past uh, three months the past mm-hmm. 90 days uh, 50 of those millions was from selling it in the first first time when he sold it. 40 million was from um, uh, uh, commissions he got from the resale because yeah. he has programmed in the contract that he gets 10% yeah. every time one of these entities uh, gets resold. So 40%. And he, so he, he said, uh, last night when I went to bed from, from and when I woke up this morning, I had made 250 thousand uh, dollars and mm. i'm sure that will spark uh, ten thousand new nft projects with uh, <laughs> from from hustlers around the world who wants to tap into that mm. that revenue stream yeah and then if we if we go back then to the art space so i then wonder if there is the same appetite right so if we talk because what what basically he is is minting is a utility nft i think that's the future i think what we've seen this year would we, 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 within the art space is, you know, it's not a bubble, obviously, but it's, 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 there's going to be a correction, you know, there's, there's going to be some kind of waking up and, you know, we're going to reevaluate the value of NFT art. Uh, I, I, I honestly believe, but I think the, the future lies in utility NFTs. Mm. Uh, but the question is, is there then the same appetite to invest in utility uh, NFTs in the art space? I doubt it. I mean, Gary V has, I mean, he, he, it's a cult, right? I mean, yeah. people are willing to pay anything to, to, to have access to him, right? And there are a few others of those personalities out there. Out there. So um, happy for them. They will get rich. The question is now, Conrad and Eric. When do we mint our Scandinavian mind utility NFT? And what would we then give as perks? 
<laughs> well, I think this can be a cliffhanger for, for next year. It's something we are d- debating heavily uh, 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 at our editorial meeting. So I don't want to, uh, you know, reveal anything too soon. Uh, but we're One perk could be to be on, the, on this podcast, get an invite <laughs> on a Friday pod. <laughs> That, exactly that, that's the huge selling point right once a no. year you you can meet conrad on your own you know out in the archipelago stockholm <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of creativity in this <laughs> just no but i think this is uh, obviously a lot of exciting stuff to be had and we're going to come back to this just one last sort of observation to end this topic uh there there We've been observing, uh, you know, at Scandinavian Mind, we are now working as the curators for the upcoming Stockholm Design and Architecture Talks at the Stockholm Furniture Fair in February. And one of the talks that we, we're going to have is around sort of design NFTs and furniture NFTs. And mm-hmm. when we started this assignment or this uh, working with these talks, there were like two examples this, this uh, spring. One of them with uh, Andres Riesinger, uh, uh, a digital designer that sold uh, a digital uh, piece of furniture for around, I think it was uh, $70,000. He's now sold many, many, more, many, many more. And he's coming on as a speaker for the design architecture talks. I'm excited about that. But we saw actually at Art Basel, Miami Beach, uh, and the sort of offshoot exhibition Design Miami, uh, a bunch of sort of uh, NFT at uh, um, sort of design exhibitions. And, and I'm only saying this because I think there's a lot of work to be done when it comes to experiencing the NFTs and the digital works. Mm-hmm. Uh, that goes, of course, into virtual reality. We talked about headsets last week. And, and so I think it's sort of in the experiential part, because you need to come together, you need to congregate around this stuff. And, and that's really where I see... Um, it's really unresolved how this will be. There's not really many good examples of how sort of digital art is is presented in a kind of gallery type space. So I think that could be. Ah, uh, but listen, uh, Conrad, I think this is um, your age speaking. <laughs> so if you ask someone that is 16 year old or 20 year old, a, a 20 year crypto billionaire, if they would like to ex- uh, you know exhibit their um, digital art in, in in a gallery space, they would laugh at you. I mean. The value lies in, in in holding the ownership, and you have it on your you have it on you all the time in your smartphone, and 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 yeah. So I don't know. We have to reconsider. I think also then uh, how enough. we display art. Fair enough. I'm waiting for Eric to to uh, say hey boomer and end this discussion. It's not, I, I didn't even want to comment. Just <laughs> letting you hang out to dry. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, earlier this week, Eric, you met with the Nordic representative of the new Chinese electric car company, uh, NIO, or NIO, or however you pr- pronounce it. Um, uh, talk about this. Why is this company interesting and, and what are they doing uh, in the Nordic market? So, yeah, I, I met with uh, Marius Heiler. Uh, Heiler. Uh, he's from uh, Norway and he said NIO. With that pronunciation, so we should go with with Nio. And uh, but basically, uh, Chinese car brand uh, Nio, they're uh, they've entered the you know, Norwegian market or like the international market this fall through Norway. Uh, and what they're doing to keep it short is they offer a battery as a service. Just a st- short history on Nio, they started in 2014, but they had some rough years initially and. 
things didn't pick up until 2019 when they started with this mobile uh, battery as a service service mm, mm. and this idea. And it's not a new idea. Like we know it takes a lot of time to charge an EV. Uh, Elon Musk, he's known this for a decade. That's why he tried this battery as a service thing in 2013, but that failed quite massively. And probably because Tesla only had a third of what a third of the car that Neo has right now in China. They they include these uh, in this battery as a service uh, uh, idea. They include battery swapping stations. So instead of going somewhere to charge your car, which usually takes about an hour depending on the model and the size of the battery, it now takes uh, three minutes with the Neo. So how, how, how big is a car battery? I have no idea. I, I've seen, you know, I've seen people carrying batteries from their uh, uh, kind of bikes or, or you know, mm-hmm. electric m- mopeds. That's kind of a thing in Stockholm. You see going into offices, they're, they're carrying it like a briefcase, kind of like a big, as big as a couple of wine bottles or something. But how big yeah. is a car battery? It's big. It's uh, basically the whole underside of the car. Uh, if you look at a SUV or, or a coupe or whatever. So it's big, okay. like it's uh, it's nothing you can just pull out yourself, <laughs> lock it over your shoulder and walk away with it. So this, this battery change, this battery swap is done fully automatically. You just pull into this small garage and you park your car and then it's done in three minutes. Hmm. Uh, completely automated. Which Interesting. is cool. And uh, this, uh, and when you when you buy this new car, you can choose to get battery included in the car, so you own the car and the battery, or you can get the battery as a service. And if you choose battery as a service, uh, they take like one hundred thousand Norwegian crowns or like ten thousand euros off the price. And with this, then you pay a monthly fee of I think it was like one hundred and fifty euros, and you get to get six battery swaps per month. And with every battery, you know, there's probably like uh, 600 kilometers of range. So you'd probably be fine. Okay, so obviously we, we talked about uh, the infrastructure needed for, for uh, mobility in the last episode. So this sounds like you really need a new infrastructure set up where, you know, battery stations have to be all around the country. At uh, Maybe gas stations will become battery stations in the future what's the what's the vision for this and and how far along are they so basically he also said that in in china in comparison to scandinavia or norway many people or the key demographic that they're looking for have charged at home but still they might have to drive quite far to go to like the skiing lodge somewhere or something so mm. i asked them because i know we've seen here in sweden how when when the temperature suddenly drop to like minus 15 minus 20 and there's a accident on the highway People in electric cars, they have to park there and wait for like three, four hours and just watch their battery drain, you know, and then just leave the cars. So I asked them how they would think about a solution like this. And they actually told me they have something called the, uh, the power mobile. Sounds pretty cool. It's like basically like a big um, battery pack on wheels that you can call. You have this app and you can call this vehicle to come and charge your car wherever you are. <laughs> So they're basically like this battery as a service is, is it's, a, it's a big service. It comes in, in all kinds of shapes and forms. And of course, so, they're going to have these regular charging stations like any other EV brand. But. Right, right. So, but, they, you know, obviously a newcomer in the Nordic market, uh, but they are big in China, right? Yeah, they're huge. Only for like the last uh, two years, I think they now have... Uh, around 160,000 cars, which for like a small EV startup is uh, very many. So when uh, can we expect to see them in Sweden and the rest of the That's what I asked. I wanted to ask them, like, of course, <laughs> there's a good reason to enter the Norwegian market. We know that with uh, 
how they treat their EVs from the government with subsidies and stuff. And they said, right. uh, I just wanted to ask them, like, okay. Yeah, Norway is of- actually, isn't Norway the, the, the most EV-dense uh, country in the world, right? Yes. We, no. we reported about that earlier. Of course, it's not even close. I think Norway has, if you look back, like, the last three years, more than half of the cars, the newly bought cars are EVs. So, mm. which is, like, not even, it. I think the U.S. has, like, 2% or something. It's not even close to anywhere else in the world. Mm. And that's because of the subsidies that we know of, of course. But yeah, I asked them, I wanted to know, like, how about Sweden and Norway, Denmark, or sorry, Finland, Denmark. And they said they're going to enter Germany and Sweden next year. But I didn't even want to answer me if they're interested in Finland and Denmark. So I thought it was quite interesting. I don't know why Sweden is better suited for, for EV car brand than Finland or Denmark. Denmark could be quite good. You know, it's quite a small country. You don't need that many. The infrastructure is not needed to be implemented all over the country and you know sweden is quite cool up north as well that was right right can i ask you have you have you come across in your your research about evs and you know you you have an interest in this topic about the wireless uh, charging of uh, evs no i do i have not i i know wireless charging is that's that the, the problem with wireless charging is it takes a lot of time it would, it would be like like i said now it would take three minutes to just swap the battery you know take about an hour to charge the whole battery and wireless charging would be almost three times that, so three hours. The tech is just not there. You have to be really close to the to the surface for it to work. Mm. And it's really hard to get the kilowatts and electricity to move through with airwaves. Uh, many, at least, that's really hard to get. Like these superchargers, That's I think that's a couple of years ahead. <laughs> Yeah, sure. But there, there are, though, examples on that note, uh, uh, companies that try to do uh, charging in the actual road. So there's a company called Elon Road uh, mm-hmm. out of uh, uh, Skåne and south of Sweden that have um, uh, set up, uh, they have a pilot case in some part of, of Skåne where the actual road charges uh, the vehicle. So there are, you know, I think that could probably be the next step rather than, as you say, of wireless charging um so maybe it is wireless and some i'm not sure exactly how it works maybe you know more about this eric yeah, it's, uh, I, uh, basically wireless is like remember these old uh, you know toy cars that you drove on like race tracks or whatever yeah it works like that so it's not it's not really plugged in but the friction and the, the electricity that goes in the center goes straight up to the car but that's obviously further down in the future, and you know, uh, you it will require huge investments in in order to have that, uh, you know, work and, and work at scale. Yes, of course. I know Scandinavia is really far ahead in this topic. So, all right, that was the show today, uh, guys. We're coming up on Christmas. Roland, what are you looking forward to in the week to come? Ah, there's. Uh, I mean, I'm not going, but there's actually co- connecting back to the topic of today. There's a crypto art fair in um, Abu Dhabi next week. All right. Yes. So um, that's gonna be interesting. I'm gonna follow that online and see what happens. Yeah. Let's keep an eye out for that, cool. Eric. Yes. Uh, Send the link. <laughs> Eric, uh, any any last thoughts? What we actually missed this morning because we have some technical difficulties is to talk about. Uh, this week's guide. So maybe just quickly mention where we are traveling to uh, this week in Scandinavian mind. Uh, we're going to Trysil, Norway's biggest uh, skiing center or skiing uh, system, uh, which is cool. Uh, that's part of my plans this Christmas, going skiing. 
so back back to Norway. Keep an eye out from that. This has been Scandinavian Mind Weekly with me, Conor Olsson, and Roland Kreshmar, Erik Sedin. Uh, don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to stay updated. Visit scandinaviamind.com slash newsletter. Guys, enjoy your weekends and talk soon. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.